0: Hi, everyone. I rarely make announcements before the start of the episode, but this is a big one because if you're familiar with our community, you'll know that we have some of the world's best writing courses. And you'll also know that these writing courses rarely go on sale. But for a very short time, I'm inviting you to feast on a smorgasbord of creative offerings with up to 40%. Yes, you heard that right. 40% off our popular online courses. So you're gonna discover more than 30 courses that are on sale, covering everything from content writing, characters and dialogue, short stories, copywriting, crime, romance, and so much more. And you get 12 months unlimited access, meaning you can buy now during the sale and learn later. Prices are valid only until midnight Monday the 28th of November 2022. So go to writercentre.com.au slash sale. That's writercenter.com.au slash sale. And now on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 514 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. We talk all about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. So, what have you been up to this week? This week I went to see RBG, the play RBG at the Sydney Theatre Company and it was mind-blowing. So if you haven't had a chance to see it yet or when it comes to your own city, do not miss this incredible performance by Heather Mitchell. It's a one-woman show and she plays not only... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that's why it's called RBG, who of course was appointed a Supreme Court judge in the US and was very active in fighting discrimination on a whole range of issues. Well, Heather Mitchell plays, yes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but also every other character in the show, including Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Ruth's own husband, so many. And her performance is nothing short of spectacular. Honestly, this is one of those things where I truly mean run, don't walk to get the tickets. It's fantastic. Apart from going to the theatre, I've also been very busy judging the Australian Business Book Awards. So I have been reading, reading and reading a little bit more. Very many business books. (laughs) I have been sworn to secrecy as to which business books I have judged, but I'm sure all will be revealed soon. Moving on to other types of books, I found a wonderful book online, which can be very handy if you're writing historical fiction. It's called The Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue by Francis Gross, and it was published first in 1788. As the name suggests, it's a dictionary of slang and swear words that were popular at the time. And, well, it elaborates in the subtitle. Dictionary of the vulgar tongue, a dictionary of buckish slang, university wit, and pickpocket eloquence. There are some phrases that are still around today, like um, to kick the bucket, but many have been lost, you know, over the centuries, over time. So it's also a great snapshot of a different time. For example, did you know that a quill driver... Q-U-I-L-L, quill driver, is a clerk, scribe, or writer. And another word for eggs is cackling farts. (laughs) You can find the Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue online for free at Project Gutenberg, as well as thousands more out-of-print and out-of-copyright books. We'll put the link in the show notes to where you can find it on Project Gutenberg. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. This week, I have three copies for you of Back on Country Welcome to Our Country by none other than Adam Goods and Ellie Lang, illustrated by David Hardy. This week's giveaway book is a joyful story about the power of reconnecting to family, culture, and country. It comes from Australian of the Year, Adam Goods his co-writer Ellie Lang, and Barkinji illustrator David Hardy. "'Where are we going?' asks Lucy. "'Back on country,' says Mum. "'Where we're going is where your nana comes from, "'where we come from. "'Our country is special to us, you'll see.' "'It's Lucy and David's first time back on country. "'They meet their cousins and elders and see special places, "'learn local language words and hear stories as old as time.'" Awesome book, so you can get yourself a copy. Just go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win one of three copies. Entries close on Monday the 28th of November. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week this week is zetetic. Zetetic. That's Z-E-T-E-T-I-C, zetetic. Do you know what it is? Okay, it's an adjective describing a method of inquiry based on experiment and observation, not trying to prove or disprove a hypothesis, but just trying to find an explanation. Interestingly, it was used by people in the 19th century who believed that the Earth is flat, and there's even a book called Zetetic cosmogony or cosmogony, Mm, zetetic cosmogony, which is still popular with flat earthers today. But the word zetetic is also used by sceptics or people who investigate spurious or pseudo-scientific claims. There you go. Zetetic. Use that in a sentence this week. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at writer.com.au forward slash book. Our book, So You Want to Be a Writer, of course, is also a great Christmas present for the aspiring writer in your life. So if you want your copy or a gift sent to someone, then do get your order in by the 8th of December so that Australia Post can ensure that it gets there before Christmas. Now, a lot of writers like to get up as early as possible to get their words in. And I've interviewed lots of authors who wake up at the crack of dawn well before I would. Um, And they like doing that because mostly it's because they, it's before the rest of the house wakes up or before all of the pressures and demands of the day start to pile up. I'm not really a morning person. I do my best creative work late at night. But if you were thinking of creating a morning writing habit, One thing that can help is a smart alarm. Okay, so this is an alarm that you install usually on your phone and it helps you get up when the alarm goes off instead of just hitting snooze 15 times. I mean, come on, we've all done it, right? Or if you're like me, you've probably set three alarms five minutes apart. That's what I do. But with these smart alarms, you have to do challenges in order to turn off the alarm. I know it sounds horrible, but it does work. No more hitting snooze and going back to sleep. So a challenge might be a maths problem, um, smiling at the camera, taking a photo of a specific object or doing a puzzle or any other ghastly activity you definitely don't want to be doing first thing in the morning, but at least it means you'll wake up. I personally don't use these, but I've asked around the office and some apps you might want to check out are Sleep as Android for Android phones and Alami on iPhone. I'll put the link in the show notes. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week, but stay tuned after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Bronwyn Hall's debut thriller is Gone to Ground. She pitched it to HarperCollins, who then contracted her to a two-book deal. Bronwyn has a day job in the health industry and has done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bronwyn.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited for you. Oh, my goodness. Your book, your novel... It's fantastic. So Gone to Ground, for people who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, tell us what it's about.
1: It is about an Australian doctor. Her name is Rachel Forrester and she is working for the United Nations in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, And to summarise really quite briefly, she's found herself uh, deep in the jungle, uh, supposedly at a clinic for vaccinations when she's arrived at that clinic it seems, soon becomes quite apparent that there's a lot of uh, conflict in the area and she finds herself doing quite you know uh, providing quite complex medical aid for people who've been injured uh the es- the violence is escalating and she's set to evacuate but on the eve of that evacuation one last patient is brought in and his condition is so critical that he ends up um, being evacuated on the helicopter instead of her so instead She and that soldier's three uh, soldier companions, um, she and those three are then required to walk through the jungle to get to safety. And on the way, they're pursued by some militia who really don't want them to reach safety, and they come across an illegal diamond mine, uh, and the people who are running that also don't want them to reach safety. So it's a bit of a, yeah, a chase through the jungle.
0: (laughs) It is edge of your seat. And it is a page turner. Now, the thing is, a a story set in the Democratic Republic of Congo involving unrest and conflict and militia and all of this kind of stuff is so different to your life. (laughs) 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 Um, What, you know, here in Australia, um, what in the world gave you this idea?
1: Look, it is different. And I know uh, I... Um, Well, there are two things, really. The idea itself came from um, some media, I think it was back in 2019, which shone a light on big tech companies not having a very transparent line of sight into where some of their really basic products came from. And specifically that was to do with cobalt and another element that was being mined by essentially child slaves in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, And at the time, you know, being someone who... uh, who had and owned some of these tech products, so computers, smartphones, tablets, those sorts of things, I was really struck by not them just not having a line of sight but how something like that really could get um, condoned or at the very least not stopped in any country. So that's what kind of kicked off a bit of research uh, and through the research, uh, which was a little confrontational on some levels, but it... um, it gave me the setting, I guess, for um, this novel, but it gave me a lot of insight into, you know, a country that um, has been quite ravaged after decolonisation uh, and just the political turmoil and the um, abundance of, you know, good stuff that that both um, other countries and criminal elements are, are after. The Jungle itself is... Um, was also something that was really nice to have as a writer. Uh, I've previously lived in Brazil, and uh, while that's where I lived wasn't the Amazon, I did have the opportunity to go to the Amazon a couple of times, and I was really fascinated by the intensity of the jungle environment. But as a writer too, um, not only did I understand how that environment actually aided uh, crime, as it were, of this nature, but it also gave me a setting that was um, a blank slate with so many things that could happen in a jungle. You've got animals, you've got mm-hmm. nature in <laughs> such abundance and intensity, yeah.
0: so that's, Conflict that's after conflict cool. after upon conflict upon conflict in the jungle, yeah, you're right. It's um, a fantastic setting. You now, this is your debut novel, so you currently still have a day job. Tell us what your day job is.
1: So I work for Dementia Australia. Uh, my background is in psychology, but right now I, yeah, work at Dementia Australia.
0: What made you want to write a novel?
1: I never intended to be a writer. <laughs> it was something that came to me, you know, later. Um, well, not early in life. I was probably in my 30s. And it was just I've always been a reader, though. So, re- I, you know, I'm a very passionate reader and always have been but not a writer at all um, until I got the seed of a story stuck in my head um, and eventually it just kind of grew its own legs and I tried to write it down and really I loved the writing process, got to the end of my first draft of 120,000 words, not this book, a completely different one, YA, and then realised it was terrible. <laughs> I was very disappointed in myself. So, um, yeah, that that kind of set me on a journey of you know, if you want to do something properly, you have to you have to put some effort in and get some tuition and learn from other people and yeah, do it do it properly. So that's yeah, that's what started me off.
0: So you've done uh, several courses at the Australian Writers Centre: yeah. um, writing children's novels, um, novel writing essentials, and the longer Write Your Novel program.
1: That course certainly gave me so much groundwork and uh, it also gave me people, you know. I'm still in contact with someone I met at that course and we run fortnightly kind of critique meetings and, yeah, that's been amazingly helpful.
0: What did the courses do for your knowledge and your writing skills? Uh,
1: They provided many foundation points um, and even it's probably better to talk about them as tether points. I think once you, you've you got all of this fantastic stuff happening in your head, you've got characters and setting and story arcs and um, backstories, you've got, yeah, so many things happening. It's quite easy, I think, for them all to get just lift up like a balloon and, and float away and then you can't catch it. But I think what happens with, um, and especially for me, with going through the courses, even if you don't absorb it all at the time, you've got anchor points. So, you know, how to create scenes and settings, how to get your backstory right before you start writing and therefore it can come out naturally, how to um have some really good basic foundation work on things like your dialogue or your sentence structures or your paragraph structures. It gives you that so when you need it, you can kind of reach for it and this big thing doesn't drift away or get out of control. It's it's tethered.
0: So you started with writing a YA novel and then you've gone to a full-on edge-of-your-seat thriller. What made you think, I'll switch to that genre? And obviously for adults Uh, Okay well this is slightly
1: embarrassing Because I didn't mean to write a thriller I meant to write a romantic suspense And uh, when I was pitching this novel Thinking it was a romantic suspense And feeling reasonably pleased with myself That I'd nailed it um, I was very politely And very gently informed By Rachel Donovan at HarperCollins Mm, No it wasn't (laughs) So that wasn't embarrassing at all, uh, but luckily it, it did fit the thriller genre. So it it does straddle a bit of a line, I think. There is, you know, a romantic element to this story, as you know, and um, it's there, but it it is firmly in the thriller, on the thriller side of the line, more so than the romantic suspense.
0: <laughs> How did you do the research? Because it is, well, it is set in the jungle. You've already mentioned that you've had some experience in the jungle when you lived in Brazil. But the um, characters that have weapons, there are soldiers. How did you do the research into into that for it to be believable?
1: The main source of information about what happens in the in the DRC doesn't really come from the country itself. Uh, they don't have the infrastructure or the Um, you know, government departments or whatever, it's quite hard to find. The uh, best source of truth or sources of truth um, that I did stumble across came from the aid agencies. So Médecins Sans Frontières or Doctors Without Borders, Red Cross and the United Nations themselves were really, really good sources of on the ground what's happening. Uh, And in reading those, they absolutely... Um, gave me my characters as well, you know, people who were legitimately in country doing legitimate things who weren't natives of the country but were there to provide assistance. So yeah, that's how that's how they
0: came about. So when you wrote this, did you obviously had to fit it around your day job. So yeah. when did you carve out your time to write? Uh I know this
1: is really important, um, especially for aspiring writers to, to, to try and get their own routine. Um, for me, I've, I have tried quite a few things and, and you know, going through the courses and, and listening to other writers as well was really helpful to hear about how they did it. Um, but for me, I... I don't lock myself into a routine. It doesn't quite work that way for me because my routine at the time could be so easily interrupted, and then I'd feel frustrated. So what I do is that when I have a chunk of time, which is fairly regularly, and at the and I was only working part time, so I was only working three and a half days a week. Um, but I do have children as well, so you know, there's a there's the other side to not the day job. Um, But when I'd get a chunk, I found it really easy to be immersed. And if I had, you know, my four hours, that would kind of, that would set me up for a couple of days and I'd feel really nourished, you know, by that time because I could really get into it. Um,
0: Yeah, so that's me. Do you think, um, could you guess at an average number of hours per week that you ended up writing? Um.
1: Yes, it would probably be only around eight to ten hours a okay. week. Okay,
0: and so then, how long did the first draft take you?
1: About ten months.
0: Right. Okay. And so, when you were writing your first draft, did you you you, you had your seed of an idea because something yeah. you know you read and then researched about sparked um, these thoughts and sparked the premise? Did you know what was going to happen?
1: Yes. So, look, I'm not a plotter uh, as such. I'm more on the panther end of the spectrum. However, I'm not right up the end. And when I say my writing schedule, that was only sitting in front of the computer. A lot of my writing and ideas is is done while I'm doing other things. And so some of those are boring, um, you know, like gardening, but I, I walk. You know, my other outlet is walking. So walking gave me that opportunity to actually really think ahead. And so by the time I sat down to write, I really do generally know what I'm going to write. And I write with islands. I know they're called plot points and you can have a story arc, but for me, they're kind of like islands and scene islands. So I always know where the next island is and the one after that. Sometimes I don't always know how I'm going to get there. And I don't know what the dialogue's going to be on the way or every aspect of the setting that I'm writing about but I know where the story in itself and the action is headed uh and so that's quite helpful for me
0: so you but when you started did you know the ending did you know how it was going to all kind of resolve itself vaguely (laughs) okay so you have a vague idea of the ending and then while you're on your walks you kind of think of the next bits yeah. so to speak yeah. okay and so then you finish your first draft what did you do
1: uh I spent a little bit of time um editing that and self-editing and trying to be as harsh as I can and of course my writing critique partner too was terrific in that space and then I started pitching so I think joining and when I say I started pitching I really only Um, Pitched this novel twice and I used opportunities through um, two uh, associations or memberships that I had so one is Romance Writers Australia I thought I was writing a romantic suspense so that that was logical at the time Uh, and then the second um, pitching opportunity I had was through the Australian Society of Authors so the ASA and that's kind of speed dating they call it or, or speed pitching and it's just it's such a wonderful um, service, I guess, that they, they do offer. And that's where I met uh, Rachel Donna from, from HarperCollins
0: and that was it. And the rest is history. There. But yeah. I'm curious to know what happened when you pitched the Romance Writers uh, so
1: Yeah, so I pitched to an agent uh, who was in the UK whose name is going to escape me um, and she was interested so she read I think it was 10,000 words. She asked for a submission, um, but then she passed on it. So, But that took a while. The pitching is a bit difficult because it does really take a while. So that was kind of three months um, later.
0: So when you heard the news from HarperCollins, can you remember what you were doing or, you know, can you remember what was happening at the time?
1: Yeah, I, I... I got an email saying, oh, well, you know, it's been to our uh, acquisitions committee, so can we arrange a time to chat? (laughs) I was like, oh, that doesn't really sound very good. So I'd gone through a, oh, tortuous four days, you know, as you do. And so by the time I actually um, had that telephone call with Rachel Donovan, I was in a very calm space about this is fine. It's been a really good experience. There'll be other opportunities. I'd moved on. I was absolutely fine. So you um, thought it was a no.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So then she gets on the phone and and says what? And she said,
1: Oh, and she was so lovely and but very professional and uh, I, I love professionalism, but I felt like I was not in that space myself in the moment. And I and she said, oh, no, no, they really liked it. No, They'd like to contract it, so that'll be good and we'll publish that next year. And then they said, well, can you please also write a second one? And at that point I was so overwhelmed. I think, yeah, my brain technically stopped working because I didn't <laughs> yeah. have a second book. It's <laughs> not like I had a spare manuscript. <laughs> so. Um, I can't remember anything after that.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my God. Okay, so um, obviously I'm assuming you were excited.
1: <laughs> I was very excited. I was so excited. Um, but yes, nearly non-functional.
0: Okay, so then you it sounds like you were contracted for a two-book deal. Yeah, right. So obviously you had the first book, but no second book. So what's happened to that? What Are you writing it?
1: Yeah, so I've fin- I have finished that draft. Um, okay. So that's now in, in train as well. And that'll come out in another year, but that's um, been submitted. So what I did then was I actually took a bit of stock um, of my space. And when I'm talking about space, it's life space. So I chose to have a period of time without a day job and I'm very lucky that I could do that, um, you know, with my husband working and that was great. So I was really lucky. Um, we were in lockdown anyway for a lot of last year when this happened uh, and I felt like I did, you know, really have the space. So, yeah, I wrote another book last year, but I, so, I took time out of the day job to do that.
0: Yes, yeah, so you wrote it full time. Yeah, In that case, how long did that take you? So you you were concentrating 100%, you know, except for your other day job being a parent. (laughs) Um, uh, You were concentrating 100% on on the second manuscript. How long did it take you and, um, like, what was your writing routine like in terms of how many hours a day and what were you trying to achieve each day?
1: You know, I went into that thinking great finally I'll be able to do that you know four to five hours a day I'll get my routine and we'll just steam ahead and it did to some extent but interestingly that process for me about going for a walk and plotting ahead couldn't be speeded up that much the writing itself was great I wasn't squeezing it in um, but I couldn't go Oh, I didn't go as fast as I thought I would. It still took me significantly less time. It probably took me about six months to get a full first draft, six to seven months. Um, but, you know, I thought, oh, I'll be able to kind of really just kind of bang this out. But it, it it's not that fast, even if I have the time and the routine. It still needed time to permeate for things to happen a lot in my head and all of those rabbit burrows that you have to dive down, still go down them before you come back out and find a true, a true direction.
0: Let's talk about characters, especially your protagonist, um, who is the doctor. And uh, she is this great character you, you want to get to know more of, you want to understand her motivations, and she's going through all this stuff. How did you develop her was she already clear in your head when she's when you started writing like did you already have her backstory or did you discover her as you started writing
1: um i had some of her backstory um how it intertwined in the end um, with a bit of Anton's backstory, Who, who is the um, the love interest and, and one of the soldiers, that, that developed. Um, so I had part of her backstory. I had the part that, you know, she came from a single parent family. She was brought up on a farm. She was quite self-reliant. She had some of those core Australian values of making do, do the best with what's in front of you and just, you know, keep, kind of plodding on the best you can in some ways, not that she plods, Um, but I wanted her to have those as kind of innate identifiable characteristics uh, because she was going to need them (laughs) when she (laughs) found herself in the jungle. So that part of her, which is the real essence I had, the facts around her life then, you know, about going to medical school, about having a
0: very
1: poor previous relationship with her boss, those sorts of things they they came later as in essence I had her right from the start though.
0: I can just see this as a Hollywood movie or a <laughs> mini series. I've already cast, I've already cast Rachel. Is it Rachel? Oh, great! I, I've already cast Rachel. Who did you have <laughs> as, who did you have as Rachel playing? with you really want? Do you really want to know? Do you oh, have yeah. you cast her? Have you cast her in oh, your I've, head? I've cast her five times,
1: but it changes.
0: Okay, <laughs> Don't so no, a- really. So it depends on when it's made because you know how these things, I've already thought this through for you, by the way, Bronwyn, because obviously there's a long lead time, long production time, um, you know, before things get moving after they sign your script, which is obviously going to happen now that we've said it out loud. So initially I cast Kate Beckinsale. But potentially Kate is going to be too old for the role, but she's very beautiful and very young-looking anyway, so, you know, yeah. it might work. And then I thought, okay, if it doesn't work because it takes too long in production and Kate then moves <laughs> she- on to older roles, I've cast Florence Pugh. So. <laughs> I don't know Florence Pugh. She's don't a bit younger, but she can play a older, not older, but she, she's quite young, so. Yeah. You know, okay. She can um she can just play oh. five years older or something. <laughs> you can look her up. Yeah. <laughs> so Thank who have you, you cast? <laughs> We're gonna come back to this when Florence Pugh actually stars in your movie. <laughs> At least we've got the evidence. <laughs> it all started here.
1: I so love that because I came up with the same um with the same issue. It's like, well, how long is this going to take? Because you do have kind of a, clearly it might never happen, but, you know, just in case, <laughs> um, if it was right now and coming out tomorrow, I would love someone like Gal Gadot. I think oh, she's yes. got that kind of sass and she's got a strength about her. Um, or a... Um, Yeah, I hadn't got there. I do. I was thinking about Anton, though, and who's the person who's just played um, Elvis Presley? His name's Austin. Someone.
0: Oh, yes, the guy who plays Elvis Presley. Yeah, okay. that's the one. <laughs> sure. Oh, I love how we've already cast the movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think you're better at it than I am. But yes.
0: <laughs> be All right. The second novel is that going to be a suspense thriller you're sticking with the same genre right
1: yeah so that is in the same genre as well um this it's not a sequel though this is set in uh and it's set in victoria in australia and uh again there's an element of crime and and a lot of sort of thriller suspense it does have a slightly slower start though it takes just a little, it, there's there's tension right there from the get-go, but not quite as much as, um, as in Gone to
0: Ground. So what's it happened fields. to your romantic suspense aspirations? Like, are you going to be writing one of those soon?
1: I just realised I don't think I'm really that great in in, in that part of the genre.
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd like to. And um, what's the grandmaster plan? Uh, because I have no doubt this book is going to take off. And then, you know, the most likely your second book as well. I haven't read that, obviously. <laughs> um, but this book is going to take off. So, what's the Grandmaster plan in terms of your career? Are you planning to juggle both the full time job and, and writing, or, or, or do you have aspirations to be a full time writer? At the moment,
1: my grand plan is to juggle. And I will do that for as long as I can. Um, I think life stage wise, my kids, my youngest is just about to finish school, so that comes with a degree of independence as well and <laughs> I mean that hopefully more free time, um, but in a, in a good way. And so I'll see how I go. The Where I work, I'm very blessed in that I get to work in um, in a Community and also with people who are who are who are dealing with real and quite sometimes difficult situations. Um, before this current job, I was with Beyond Blue, so I was working with um, people who, you know, were were struggling with their mental health, and I think what that gives me is. Um, not material, I don't want to sort of save one moment that people I meet are material, but what it gives me is real life, you know, real life about people coming up against difficulties and that can happen to any of us. And it gives me um, insight into, you know, the human spirit and how people confront um, those difficulties. And that's something I really treasure. I don't take it for granted, uh, and I think is keeps me real and keeps, hopefully, keeps my stories real as well. Mm.
0: Well, congratulations on Gone to Ground! Thank so, you so excited much. for you. Now, there's a lot of listeners. There are a lot of listeners who are in a position where you were in not that long ago, mm. because this is your debut. What mm-hmm. and so you can really relate to the, what they're going through. So what are your top three tips to them in terms of how they can get to where you are? So
1: the first of all, I really want to say, you know, everyone has a book in them and I think the creativity is there. And it's so hard not to doubt yourself along the way. So anything that you can put around yourself and scaffold in to help you um, get past the self-doubt is a good thing. So that's writing partners, that's um, joining organisations, it's reading material about other people's stories, you know, just to keep yourself moving forward. Um, The other thing, and this is a very technical thing, it's a pet passion of mine, is dialogue. I think just with the human brain, reading is something that actually we're not born with. The human brain is quite remarkable in that we've got language centres and uh, other things that you know make us human. But reading is is not something we're born with. It's actually technically sort of a trick that we've been able to teach our brains. But what that means is is that when we read a book, I, we don't. We can't use all of our senses to absorb it. We can only use our eyes and then interpret it. And dialogue in itself is a really good way of actually reaching parts of our brain that doesn't have to try hard. You know, we get so much out of a characters, characters speaking to each other or responding to each other. Um, So it's my pet thing. Don't ignore your dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of another tip. (laughs) Oh, yes, I can. Yeah, look, join, (laughs) join associations you know, memberships and reading newsletters, the Australian Society of Authors, join Facebook groups or whatever it happens to be, listen to a podcast. But, you know, it, it just gives you, gives you things that you're not even um, asking for. You'll get them by accident. And I think that's, yeah, it's good.
0: I love that. All right. Well, congratulations once again. And thank you so much for your time today, Bronwyn.
1: It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Fiction Essentials Scenes, is your ultimate guide to creating scenes that build your story piece by piece and engage your reader until the final page. When writing a novel, around 80% of your time is spent constructing and editing scenes. They're not just an integral part of stories. In most cases, they are the very essence of what drives a character and plot forward. This course will not only help improve your storytelling, but also save you several drafts and many hours in the process. Every author wants to create vivid scenes and settings in their novels, and this course will give you a behind-the-scenes blueprint for every story you write. And because this is one of our online self-paced courses, you'll enjoy instant access and can learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash scenes. That's writerscentre.com.au slash scenes did you know that american writer ernest hemingway was one of those morning people that i spoke about before yep he was one of those morning types and he always got his writing work done first thing in the day in an interview with george plimpton hemingway said when i'm working on a book or a story i write every morning as soon after first light as possible There is no one to disturb you and it is cool or cold and you come to your work and warm as you write. You read what you have written and, as you always stop when you know what is going to happen next, you go on from there. You write until you come to a place where you still have your juice and know what will happen next and you stop and try to live through until the next day when you hit it again. You have started at six in the morning, say, and may go on until noon or be through before that. In that same interview, he also said that he wrote the ending to Farewell to Arms 39 times before he was satisfied, and that was just the last page. So there you go, some morning writing tips from Ernest Hemingway. All right. We've now reached the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you do have 30 seconds to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice, I'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings and it helps other people discover us. So I'd really appreciate it. If you do have the time to do that, in the meantime, feel free to connect on social media. Please do join the "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast community on Facebook. Just search for that exactly. "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast community, and uh, request to join. It'd be great to have you in there. Lots of emerging and aspiring and established writers. From all walks of life, it's a great way to make connections as well. Feel free to connect with me personally. I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast. Or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.